Oh, sorry, kids. Kids. Jack of all trades, master of none. Kids, you can go. Thanks. It's good thing my wife takes notes. While the kids are going out, if you'd like to turn to Luke, and we're going to continue in our studies, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 24. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 24. As we lead into this passage, you remember that Jesus sent out the 72, or your Bible might say the 70, we're not going to argue about that now. And they went out on this mission, he'd already previously sent out the 12, now the 70, and now they come back full of enthusiasm because of what they'd experienced. Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. It's quite a difficult passage in many ways because the first question when you read a passage like this is, so what about missionaries who are out on the field and then get killed for their faith? We'll get to that. Who said these words? Do you realize that by the time you wake up in the morning, 20,000 men may have been killed? Anyone know? Winston Churchill said so to his wife the night before D-Day happened. On the 6th of June 1944, just after midnight, the Allied assault on Hitler's fortress Europe began. German military high command were caught unaware. The low tides and bad weather combined with the Allied deception plans had convinced the Germans that an attack was unlikely at that time. And as more than a thousand British bombers began to pummel Normandy's coastal defences, Rommel, who was one of their really good commanders, who commanded German defences in France at that time, Rommel was in Germany celebrating his wife's birthday. At the day's end, although they had not yet taken the objective of Khan, the soldiers had penetrated six kilometres inland and their foothold in Normandy was secure. 
even at the high cost of so many lives. And at 6pm when Winston Churchill addressed the House of Commons, it was announced, uh, it was to announce the outstanding success of an operation which would go down in military legend. The war lasted long after that battle, didn't it? But D-Day essentially decided the outcome of the war. It was the beginning of the end of the war. And it was just in that same way that these 72, as they experienced what they experienced, they came to see the beginnings of the kingdom of heaven being established on earth. Their victory was a small taste of the much larger victory which Christ would win when He died on the cross for the sins of guilty mankind. But why did they experience this victory? And we need to go and look at the reasons for it. Because Jesus addresses them on this very issue. They came back and they said to Him, Lord, this stuff works. It works. We were casting out demons and guess what, Lord? They were cast out. They were subject to us. And when we prayed, people were converted. It works. What does Jesus reply to them? Very interesting. Verse 18. Did He say to them, Well done. You've learned such a good lesson. What the good disciples you are. I'm going to mark you up on your grade papers. No. He didn't say that at all. He actually brings a warning across them. Because these guys were hyped up. Imagine having seen all these things they had seen. I'd come back hyped up too. I mean, it doesn't take much. It takes a good Christian conference or maybe a good Christian camp and I come back hyped up. Don't you? Jesus says, I was watching Satan fall while this was happening. What's he speaking about? I was watching Satan fall. You see, Jesus can see the big picture. Remember, we mustn't forget who Jesus is. Yes, He's the Son of Man, but He's also who? The Son of God at the same time. He's deity, but fully man too. And so at the same time, when all this was happening, Jesus was seeing the big picture. And Jesus saw the beginning and the end. If you turn back to Ezekiel chapter 28, and you can do that in your own time, I've put the reference up there for you. Jesus was speaking... Uh, the, the, the passage there was speaking about the king of Tyre, but also it was referring to the fall of Satan from heaven. Remember, Satan wasn't always satanic, as we understand the word. Once he was the chief of the angels. He was a good guy. And he was up in heaven serving the Lord. But then somehow, and we're not told the particulars, but somehow pride got to him. And he saw how beautiful he was. So there must have been mirrors somewhere. He saw how beautiful he was and somehow pride got to him. And he started putting that pride up before God. And God who knows everything saw that. And God cast him out of heaven like lightning. You see why? Because God is a holy God. He can't endure any evil before him. And he saw what was happening in Satan. His good angel, and he cast them out. Like lightning, says the Lord. And he came to earth, and earth was now his domain. And for a time, God allows Satan to reign on this earth. 
But the war is still in progress, isn't it? Because Jesus himself then came to this earth. And what happened? He saw the rest of the picture. He saw that Satan's power had been broken. How? Satan was brought subject to Jesus. That moment when Jesus died on that cross, death was forsaken. Satan then knew the game's over. Because Jesus rose again on the third day and he conquered what Satan also thought was the total punishment. And it would carry on forever. Death, no. He suddenly found out that death was conquered by the Lord too. And Satan then knew, now the game is up. But until the Lord comes again, what is Satan doing? He's trying to get as much, to use war language, he's trying to get as much collateral damage as he can. He's trying to take as many as he can with him. And that's why you and I have to really watch our lives. And if you do not know the Lord, there is still time for you to come out of Satan's grasp and to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus saw the bigger picture here. And so when his disciples come back to him, he had already seen this, the beginning from the end. If you go to Revelation 12, verse 7 to 12, that passage describes two things. It describes what had already happened in the past to Satan, but it also at the very same time describes what will happen at the end of time when Jesus comes again. You see, Jesus can see the bigger picture here. But what was Jesus also doing, saying to them what he said here? I was watching Satan fall instead of saying, well done, you good and faithful servants. What was he doing? He was warning them. He was saying, watch out, Satan fell because of pride. Watch out, that pride doesn't go to your heads. Don't get a big ministry head. Watch out. You see, these were inexperienced disciples. This is the first time this had ever happened to them. And Jesus says to them, watch out, don't get a big head. And that same message rings true for you and I. You might serve in some fantastic way for the Lord, but watch out. Don't get a big head. And Jesus will give the reasons why now. And when things are going really well in your life, watch out. It's a danger period, although it's really nice and enjoyable, watch out. Because that is when Satan will start sowing the little seeds of pride. And that pride will grow. And it will take you over if it's not dealt with. So watch out for your own pride. And Jesus says the following in verse 19, and I want us to read it together. This is what he says. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. You see, they were just starting out in their ministry. They still had their little trainer wheels on. And so there they go out into ministry and Jesus had given them this authority over serpents, over spirits, so that they could, for their first encounter, learn how to do ministry. And then later as the training wheels came off, Jesus allowed them to have part of that power. And I'll come back to that because I can see a few question marks already in your heads. What happened to Paul on Patmos? Acts chapter 28 verse 3. He was around that fireplace 
doing the ministry of the word of, of the Lord, right? He'd been shipwrecked on the way. That's just in brackets. And here he is on the Isle of Patmos making fire. And all of a sudden, whack, onto his head, onto his finger, there's a viper. A poisonous viper. Because the locals who knew what that was thought, Oh dear, find a shady tree, my friend. Die in the shade. But Paul, what happened to him? He shook off the viper and they watched him and nothing happened to him. Why? He was on the business of the Lord and God gave him protection, you see? So what about you and I? Can we go around walking in a snake park? Barefoot? Feeling free? No. Is that about the Lord's business? But if you are about the Lord's business, and many missionaries have reported the fact, they're about the Lord's business, and the Lord puts special protection on them. And they might go through danger, but the Lord holds them. There are instances where people are told, uh, missionaries have written up of encounters with people with machine guns. And they were coming to rob and to kill the missionaries because they didn't like the influence these missionaries were having on their local taxes. And so they rounded up the missionaries, put them inside the mission house, and they started firing away. And you know, the Lord protected these missionaries because suddenly, and this is written up by these missionaries, these terrorists looked up and saw bright lights. And their machine guns were jammed. And it wouldn't work. And they walked away because they knew there was something here greater than them. God protects His own. But what about those times when they are not protected? What about the missionaries who have been burnt in India in fairly recent history where they were taking out the, the, the gospel to those people who needed the Lord? What about them? How come the Lord allowed a missionary father and his two sons to get burnt in their car? Why? I don't know. The Lord knows. This is what he says to us, Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are the called according to His purpose. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's good. And sometimes when we look at the picture, we don't see it. But in the end, we've got to rest with a statement, God is good. And what He allows to happen to my life is for the good. And I will praise God for that. Yes? And you might be going through a time when you think, where's the good? Trust in the Lord. He knows. That's all as a human being I can tell you. I'm purely giving you God's Word. Trust in God. He knows the beginning from the end. You see, Jesus carries on and He says this. He says, I will protect your soul. And whatever happens to you in the end, it will work out for your good. How do we know that? Because the very next statement that Jesus says to them, verse 20, this is what he says. Don't rejoice in all these fantastic things that happen to you. There's a bigger picture here. Rejoice in that. What does Jesus say? Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, verse 20, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's the bigger picture, you see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Why? Because Jesus found me and wrote my name into the eternal book of life. And the same for these disciples. Jesus says, don't get excited about that. You can for a little while, but get more excited about this, that you are saved, that your names are written up 
in the book of life, where no scorpion, where no demon can get at it. It is written up there forever. The Greek phrase here is written in one word. And it's, the phrase is this, the names of you have been recorded. One phrase. They have been recorded. And there's a second phrase linked to it. And it stands written. It stands written. It's like standing in cement. It cannot fall over. So your names are recorded and they stand forever. That's the Greek term there. And Jesus says to them, Rejoice, your names have been written up in heaven. Who can touch your soul? They might kill your body, but who can touch your soul? It's a statement of assurance, you see. But it's also a warning to Jesus' disciples because so many of them would go through experiences. When Jesus was no longer with them on the earth, when He had already ascended and He was back in heaven, seated at the Father's right hand, they would go through persecution. They would be put to death for standing up for the Lord. Think of Stephen. Stephen knew his name was written up in the book of life. Why? Because when they were busy stoning him with his last breath, he looked up and he, and he saw the Lord. He knew where his hope was. What about you? I don't know what's happened in your life this week. You might have received dramatic news. Maybe it's the big cancer word. You might have received other news. Maybe it's financial news. Maybe it's about one of your children. Your name, if you are a believer, is written up in the book of life. Your hope is in the Lord. The rest is up to God. We need to trust in Him. You see, what's most important is the personal relationship with this merciful and all-powerful Jesus. That should be the source of our joy. Not all these dramatic things. If you try and get joy in your life by living from one dramatic event to the next, what will happen? What's going to happen in the in-between times? You're going to fall. You'll be flat on your face spiritually. You're going to be down. But if we, our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we know about Him? He is merciful. He's all-powerful. He's unchangeable. Unlike our circumstances. And so we can put our trust in Him and find our joy in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says to them, rather, take notes of where your names are written and who has written your names there and have that relationship with Me. That's what's important. In other words, keep your perspective. Keep your perspective. And so that was Jesus' mercy and His power. And now he takes us to a further perspective, verses 21 to 22. Look at what he says. In the same hour, so it's a little later, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So after this had happened, a little while later, Jesus prays. So how do we know he's praying? Well, the Holy Spirit must have revealed it to Luke because Luke remembers the one writing out this account. No one else could have known what Jesus was praying. That's for me fantastic to see here. Here Jesus is praying and his very thoughts are recorded for us in Scripture so that we can learn from them. And another beautiful picture here is you see the Son, the Spirit, 
and the Father as one. You don't, you, we, we get many instances, but here's a very clear instance in Scripture. Jesus, full of joy by the Spirit, prays to His Father. Wow. Do you see His deity and His humanity? This is the same Jesus who needed to be strengthened in the desert. Well, here His joy is given to Him by the Spirit, through the Spirit. They are all one. The Spirit, the Son, the Father. And so He prays to His Father through the Spirit. And what are His Father's thoughts? He speaks to His Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Who's speaking here? Jesus, the Creator, the one who everything was made through, right? But He's addressing His Father. And what does He address the Father as? Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, Lord, You are the sovereign ruler. And I, as Your Son, acknowledge that You are Father. And what does He say? Father, You have hidden the truth from the wise and the intelligent. And You've revealed the truth through Your mercy to those who are infants. What's he saying? You see, the amazing thing that Jesus says here is, Lord, you have hidden your truth or revealing your truth. You've hidden it from those who are of a high opinion of their own abilities. Those who are full of themselves and of their ability to take apart your word. Who were those in his time? The Jewish religious leaders, mainly those who wouldn't listen in the crowds, mainly, doesn't matter how learned they were. He says, Lord, you've hidden your truth from them, but who have you revealed the truth to? You've revealed your truth in your mercy to infants. Does that mean to little children? No, but to those who are as little children in their attitudes towards God. To these unlearned fishermen, these 72 who have just returned to me, stumbling over themselves with excitement, Lord, You've revealed the truth to them. You've revealed your truth to tax collectors who come to you. Those who wouldn't necessarily have the highest training. Those who could hardly read. But you've revealed your truth to them because they've been humble before you. You see, what does God say? There's an unchangeable truth. And I want to quote it to you from Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. And you'll note where this is found. This is found where? In the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15. This is what it says. Listen to this principle. For thus says the high and the lofty one, who's that? God. Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is what he says. I dwell in the high and the holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Who is God with? Who does He reveal Himself to? Those who are humble in heart. And the truth is this to you and I this morning. Yes, you might have all your theological boxes ticked off. You might understand exactly, you think, how God works. You might, exact, you might understand exactly, you think, how the Son and the Father work together with the Spirit. You've got it all sussed. You've read all the books. You know it all. When someone asks you a question, you can quote a verse to substantiate what you're saying. And it just flows like this. You might know it all. But Jesus says here what? Who knows me? Only the Father knows me completely. And who knows the Father? Only I know the Father completely. 
And so don't kid yourself. You need to stay humble at heart. You do not have all the answers. Only Jesus has all the answers. Remember who you are and who He is. He is eternal. He is the sovereign one. You are a mere human being. You see, we need to hear that message. And especially in churches that preach God's Word, who put God's words, God's Word high, we need to be reminded of that. We don't know all the answers. But God does. He is God. We are the humble ones. And what does Jesus say here? Lord, you've revealed your truth to these ones who are humble. And what has the Father also done? He has allowed Jesus to be the one who will reveal His truth to people. You see, there's hope for us. It's not about your natural ability. It's not about your educational level. Anyone who comes with a humble heart before Jesus Christ will find new life. Anyone. There is hope for, for every single person who would come. God will reveal His truth to any soul who comes to Him. And here's the prerequisites. In humility and dependency. Jesus says to him, Lord, to the Father, you've handed all things over to me. You've entrusted all things to me, your Son. The knowledge of all things has been handed over to me. What, is that, what was he to do with that knowledge? He was to introduce that to people who would not even want to know yet. You see, that's the role of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is his role? His role is to introduce the Father to you and I who are sinners. Remember back in your life when you didn't want to know about God? When the, the name Christianity might have been a mocking word to you? Well, Jesus was the one who through the Spirit started revealing the truth to you little bit by little bit. It might have been through the conversation of someone. It might have been through the word that you were reading in a newspaper. You might have been reading Thought for Today. A friend might have come to you and started speaking to you. You might have watched the friend's life and seen them and, say, and said, why are they different? You might have heard something on the radio, but it was the Spirit who was doing the work. And the Son, with the Spirit, would bring the truth of God before you. And in the end, who did you have to put your faith in? Jesus Christ. He was the one who would then introduce you to the Father and you would get new life. God chose it that way. You see, it's not about our clever presentations. It's not about our dramatic movies that we might show that will pull people to the Lord. Those are basically tools. God uses His Spirit. And then we are brought before the Son. And the Son shows us to the Father. He's the one who gives us His blood to cover our sin. There's a chain of revelation there. Do you see it? Why do I say that? Because when we go like the disciples out into the community, there's no pressure on us, you see. Who is revealing the Saviour, the good news to people? Who is it? It's Jesus doing it. We are merely the messengers. We are the ones who take the good message out there, if we are willing to go. And Jesus is the one who takes those seeds through His Spirit and He turns them into truth and into life in the end. He's the one. So you don't have to worry about a little book where you've got to write up names. And if you have so many names in a month, well, tick on you. Good. We'll have a soul party, I think it's been called, I've heard. 
You don't need a soul party because you haven't had anything to do with it. Jesus does it. Do you see the pressures of us? That doesn't mean you don't have to go out and God will do it on His own. I thought I'd just say that. Jesus sent out the 72 and He worked through them. He works through you and I as well. But He does the work. We are the messengers. We have the message. And when we deliver that, He does the work. And then verse 23 to 24, and I love this. Jesus turns and it says this specifically, it was a private conversation to His disciples. You guys are not included here. I'm talking to them now. What does Jesus say to them? They've just come back from this mission. He turns to His disciples and He says to them, what a privilege you have. You know what you've seen today? The kings and the prophets in the Old Testament wished they could see. What was that? The kingdom of God revealed. The Messiah revealed. They knew Him. I'm sure they'd even shared meals with Him. They might even have touched Him. They'd seen the Messiah. You know the prophets and the kings in the Old Testament? David, Isaiah... They wished they could see these things. They could just see a small part of it through the revelation of what they'd already had from the Lord. But here these disciples were and they could see not just the Messiah, but His kingdom being established. They'd just seen it with their own eyes. They'd been a part of that establishment of the kingdom. And Jesus says to them, what a privilege you have. The question is, what are we doing? What are you doing with that? And that question is there for you and I too today. What is the privilege that we have? We've got more than those disciples. We've seen the fulfillment of history and it's now the year 2014. So many other things have happened. We've got the, the fulfillment of God's Word expounded. We've got so many more commentaries we can go and read, if they're right, by the way. We need to go and look at those. We've got so much more truth that's been revealed to us through God's Word, through a fuller understanding as people have studied it. But what are we doing with that privilege? Are we sharing that message of the Gospel? When I was with the men yesterday, we had a bit of our retreat and we watched a little clip of a DVD and it was about a fireman. And there was a fireman in America who got prosecuted. Why would he get prosecuted? Well, a fire broke out. He sat in the fire engine and he was fiddling around with a CD player trying to find this new gadget going properly while the fire was burning out there because he said, I didn't know how to fight it. And so he let two children and a woman die in the flames while the rest of the crew were out there. He was a fireman inside the fire engine. Does that picture ring? How many of us are firemen inside the fire engine? How many of you told about the Lord in this year? How many family members have you spoken to about the message of the Gospel? You see, we've got the privilege of knowing, but what are we doing about it? Are we fiddling around with our religious CD players inside our church buildings while out there people are dying? What are we doing with the privilege of the Gospel? We get to the so what questions, and I'd like to put five of them to you as we sum up this little passage. And the first one is this, I want to speak to you this morning if you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be some of you here. If you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need God to reveal His truth to your heart. That's all I can say. You need God to reveal His truth to your heart. 
I can rant and rave and preach up here for 24 hours, but if God doesn't reveal the truth to your heart, you will not be saved. And you need to come to Him in humility so that He can save you. This is what James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to who? To the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, says that passage. First Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that at the proper time He may exalt you. In other words, He may lift you up from death to life. In the case of Christians, He may exalt you at the right time. But come before God. Humble yourselves. John 14 verse 6 says this, and this is, if you're not a Christian, you need to hear this verse. This is your only hope for the Gospel. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God has worked it out that way. You are to obey. And so there's the plea of the Gospel on your life. And if you're a Christian here, I've got four application points for you. Here's the first one. What are you tempted to rejoice in other than the grace of Jesus Christ? What are you tempted to rejoice in other than the grace of Jesus Christ? If you're a very talented individual, do you trust in your own success, your own abilities? You see, we need to remind ourselves from this passage that your name is written in heaven because of one reason only, and that is God's love towards an undeserving sinner. There was a time when I didn't know the Lord, but now I do because of Jesus Christ. And He wrote my, life, my name up there in heaven. God is the one who shows grace. Not me, not my abilities. It won't get me anywhere near heaven. Actually, it will drive you the other way. It will drive you away from God. But as Christians, do we stop? Do we thank God at times for His mercy? Have you ever stopped in this last week to thank the Lord for His mercy and His grace in your life? Have you stopped once to thank Him? Find your joy in Jesus. Find your joy in His work on your behalf. Thirdly, are you dependent on God's Spirit? Full stop. Are you dependent on God's Spirit to reveal the truth of His Word to you? When you open His Word, do you know it already before you've even read the words? Are you dependent on the Spirit to teach you, to reveal the truth of His Word to you? Are you self-sufficient on your own scriptural knowledge, your own wisdom? And there's a follow-up question to that. Are you empowered for your daily walk by that very same Spirit? The one who takes this truth and makes it alive in your, in your life, and then helps you to walk the walk. Are you empowered for your daily walk by the Spirit? No, not your multivitamins, no, not your power shakes, but the Spirit. It's a real question we've got to ask ourselves, you see, because so many times we fall back on our power shakes and our multivitamins. When you're feeling a bit down and depro, oh, I must take another multivitamin. No, just come back to the Spirit. Ask Him to invigorate you for the task at hand and realize you're fighting a battle and He will do that. Are you empowered for your daily walk by the Spirit? He will give you power over your sin. He will give you power to conquer that sin and He will give you power 
When you open your mouth and you proclaim His message, He will speak through you. But you need to be empowered by Him. So give Him your abilities. Give Him that determination that you have to do His will and let Him use you. Let Him use you to work for Him. And there's a follow-up question to that. They all time, you see. Are you available to Jesus to reveal His truth to your neighbors through you? Who does God use to take His message out? It's Peter. It's John. It's Calvin. It's Judy. He takes us to take His message through Him. But He works through you and I so that people can hear the Gospel. Are you willing to be worked through? In other words, are you a willing kingdom worker or are you happy to let others do it? Are you happy to let them do it? Jesus saves through you and I. I want to end with a warning and a word of courage. Here's the warning. Jesus came in with a warning and I'm just repeating that warning to you as well. Is your life all hunkadory? Are you spiritually up there? You feeling okay? Are you spiritually on top of the world? Watch out for your pride. It's not just Satan, it's already in you. It will bring you down. You need to stay humble and dependent on the Lord and He will use you to win victories for Him. And you too will find yourself saying, this Christianity, it really works. Just like these disciples. Be warned. Stay dependent on the Lord. And then the word of courage. And I know many of us need a word of courage because stuff happens to us. Here's the point of courage. You might be in the middle of your D-day in life. And I don't know specifically what's happening to you now. But see the big picture. The war has already been won. The war has already been won. Satan has already been cast down. Jesus Christ has already been raised up. You get that? Satan has already been cast down. Jesus Christ has already been raised up. There is hope. God is sovereign. Yes, even in your life. Yes, even in that situation that you are going through. Isaiah 46 verse 10 says this, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. Listen to these words. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Who's speaking? Is it a human being? It's God Almighty. My purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. You see, there's hope for us. But we need to get out there and we need to allow Jesus Christ to speak through us. And then others too will hear. And the kingdom will be built. That privilege we have of seeing it built. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we read about these disciples and it was so exciting for them, but when we look at our lives, Lord, sometimes it's not that exciting. And all we see is the daunting task that you've given to us of going out into the world and preaching your gospel. And Lord, we don't even know where to start. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that if we are willing to just open our mouths, 
if we are willing to live lives that honour Jesus Christ by our obedience to your word, then you will give us the opportunities and we will be able to speak out about what Jesus has done in us and through us. And you will then use us so that others too will be drawn to your kingdom and to, through the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved. Lord, help us to be willing workers. Help us not to be hesitant and to stay inside our safe little church buildings and inside our safe little homes and not to open our eyes, our, our mouths with the gospel message. Lord, may we be obedient to you and may we then also experience the joy that these disciples found because they were obedient to you and they knew who they were rooted in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Use us, we pray, for your glory and the extension of your kingdom. Amen.